0: Happy Thursday, here to set you free on the only true democracy in talk radio of for and by you, the people. Good afternoon, and welcome or welcome back in this hour. Great guest joining us, one of my absolute favorites. Later in the hour, talk media news live from our nation's capital giving us updates. No rip from the headlines today. We're going to get to it, but of course, we welcome, encourage, and invite you to call with your questions, your comments, your opinions, your concerns. 8886 Leslie eight 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 six five three seven five four three is the number. More than a pleasure to welcome somebody who is um, a, a brilliant man, has an extensive background. I always learn something from him I know that you do as well An enjoyable guest And uh, I am honored uh, to be able to say He is also a friend, a personal friend Colonel Cedric Layton Founder and President of Cedric Layton Associates And Strategic Risk and Leadership Consultancy That serve global companies and organizations The Colonel founded it in 2010 But prior he was with the U.S. Air Force for 26 years As an intelligence officer He attained the rank of Colonel And he can also be seen regularly on CNN Where he is a military analyst Colonel Cedric Layton Layton. Colonel Leighton, how you doing? Good afternoon. Thank you for being with us.
1: It's my pleasure, Leslie. I'm doing well. How are you today?
0: I'm doing good, thank you, and thank you to ha- have you with us. I love having you, and I know you're busy with your time, so thank you for making time in your schedule.
1: Always for you, Leslie. Absolutely.
0: Now, we may be on competitor networks on television, although we are friends, <laughs> and I think we think more alike when it comes to uh, strategy in the military, and I do, honestly, because I follow your lead because you have such knowledge, experience, um, and, uh, y- you know, you, you, you have the experience. I don't have it. But when Donald Trump went on the stage at the UN, which was founded for diplomacy and basically what I considered, you know, either directly or indirectly threatened war with North Korea, I said, the remarks were juvenile and dangerous. And I think that, that viral, that went viral of me saying that, cause there's certainly a lot of people who like Trump didn't like what I had to say. But now I said at the time that rhetoric was dangerous because the leader of North Korea is unstable and calling him rocket man and threatening war is not going, nothing good's going to come of it. The rhetoric is not helpful. Well, there is a poll that shows now that more than two thirds of voters in the United States say that the president's rhetoric toward North Korea is unhelpful. They think diplomacy and sanctions are the best way to rein in Pyongyang's weapons program. And that poll was conducted by where I work on TV, Fox News. So first of all, Colonel, was that from where you stand with your experience as a colonel, as a military analyst on CNN, when Donald Trump said that at the UN, did your heart skip a beat?
1: I practically fell out of my chair when he used the term rocket man in his U.N. speech. It's one thing if you put it on Twitter. I wouldn't recommend it, especially for the leader of the free world, to actually be saying something like that. But when he said it uh, at the U.N. in that forum, you know, behind that rostrum, and, uh, you know, reiterated it uh, in the way that he did that—that uh, um, that was not the place uh, nor the time uh, to to do that, in my opinion. It—it uh, it was, uh, you know, the the term, uh, you know, it does. You know, it is certainly a term where you where you you have to crack a smile in some respects that it's it's being used. But on the other side, you know that uh, you know somebody is listening to this, and that somebody is uh, a leader of a country uh, that uh, feels encircled by the rest of the world. And uh, although they've done many things that are very very bad, and they are not uh, nice people to put it uh, you know very mildly, uh, they uh, you know they do have feelings, and those feelings can unfortunately uh, result in a, 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 all kinds of military action, and even non-military action that could be very detrimental to both the U.S. and its allies. So I think the time right now is uh, should be used uh, for diplomacy, for reaching out. Uh, basically, Trump has the opportunity to have a blank slate uh, in this, or had the opportunity, I should say, to have a blank slate in the uh, Korean crisis. Uh, but uh, this kind of paints him into a corner. And uh, that's not a good place to begin.
0: Well, especially when you say um, that he would, as he did, unleash fire and fury on um, uh, North Korea if it continued to threaten the U.S. North Korea has said that um, they perceive what he said as a declaration of war, which is frightening. But I have to say, Colonel, that two things with President Trump. One, I think that he and the head of North Korea are probably more alike than any president we've ever had. And honestly, this could be a huge, uh, p- this could be a legacy for him being able to d- do a deal with North Korea because he says he's the great deal maker. So I think that as unprecedented as it is, because it's an unprecedented president, I am no Trump fan. I, I-, I think that uh, we'll talk about how much danger he's put us in the rest of the world, and especially South Korea in in a minute, but regarding diplomacy, he may poo-pooed that term But really, when you're cutting a deal, that's that's diplomacy. Right. Diplomacy is just cutting a deal on a political level. And I think if anybody could cut a deal with this guy, because I think they're very similar personalities, they're both narcissistic. I think Donald Trump could actually sit down with Kim Jong Un and cut a deal.
1: Well, I think it's absolutely possible, and this is one of those things where you know it's kind of like the doctrine uh, in uh, relationships: opposites attract. Uh, and uh, you know, it's one of those things where, in in this particular case, and even during the campaign, he uh, mentioned at times uh, that uh, why not? Why wouldn't he sit down with Kim Jong Un? Uh, and that should have been an opening. It should have been something where he could have potentially potentially done that. And you know, you go back to historically to uh, let's say, Nixon and China. Uh, Nixon was regarded, uh, President Nixon was regarded as a virulent anti-communist, somebody who absolutely uh, hated Mao Zedong and uh, any uh, other communist that was out there. Uh, And uh, what does he do? He very astutely uh, goes to China, opens up that country, and uh, does something that is, uh, you know, was really unprecedented for the time. Uh, And I think uh, at that moment uh, created uh, the framework uh, for the world that followed, uh, not only uh, that particular moment, but the world that followed uh, the demise of communism uh, in in most of the world. So, so that was a, a seminal move, and it is absolutely something that President Trump could do uh, if he wanted to, and if he uh, you know used his deal making skills uh, that he talks about so much.
0: I want to talk about the deal-making, because uh, that's really important. And you said you believe uh, diplomacy is helpful. Um, one, one of the first things the Trump administration did is, much like the past administration, past three administrations, is um, they, they put sanctions on North Korea. Now, I am not a fan of Steve Bannon, but there are a couple of things he said. And I want to go with the probably the second one he said first, which is um, there's really – you know, no good situation with uh, North Korea with regard to diplomacy and sanctions. It has failed in both Democratic and Republican administrations in uh, the past. So some people say, let's do something different. Going back to the first thing Steve Bannon said um, that I agree with, which is military options should never be on the table, you know, with North Korea. Do you agree with that? Do you agree a military option with North Korea should not even be on the table? And, And if so, explain why to the people listening?
1: well what i would what i would say is that military options should always be options of last resort so uh when you start uh, talking to somebody they should have in their mind especially a rival country like north korea they should have in the back of the of their mind that something very bad could happen to them uh, so it becomes a potentially existential question for them if they don't uh, behave in a manner that we, that we can at least deal with. Uh, but having said that, uh, you know, I think the first foray should be one in which uh, a new administration talks to uh, anybody that they can in order to diffuse tension. Sometimes it's good to work from a blank slate and to actually provide uh, a way in which they can uh, perhaps save face, perhaps get out of a situation that they find themselves in uh you know the the bottom line for north korea is really that they want to preserve their regime they want to be able to have a uh, continuity for the kim family which really amounts to a kind of communist kim dynasty and that uh, idea of preserving continuity uh, preserving in essence what amounts to uh, the continued reign of an almost godlike figure for the North Korean people, that is uh, something that is is very important to them. So you look at what's important to them and uh, see what uh, you can do to uh, either disabuse them of the notion notion that they are that important or failing that, actually say, okay, these are the kinds of things that we can accept, but if you go beyond this particular range of behaviors, uh, that is something that we cannot accept uh, so when it comes to negotiating with a country like this it, it's of course very dangerous and you have to expect them uh, to uh, lie and to cheat and to do things that are that are not uh, you know in in concert with what we would think uh, good behavior would be uh, and then we have to be careful that we're ready willing and able uh, to back up anything that we do uh, with uh, both diplomatic action uh, followed by economic action like sanction uh political action that uh, may come later and then finally as a last resort, uh, military action, if they do something uh, that is not only insanely provocative, but also something that puts lives at risk and lives of both of U.S. citizens and U.S. servicemen, but also of our allied uh, citizens and servicemen, both in South Korea and Japan in particular. Uh, so there, there are some things, I think military options are actually always uh, out there uh, but uh, they should not be the ones that you go to first they should be the ones that come afterwards after you've exhausted all other possibilities and uh, you know it's always always good to have a little bit of creativity but good creativity in the conduct of diplomacy and and other aspects of
0: foreign relations We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk more with our guest, Colonel Cedric Layton, founder and president of Cedric Layton Associates, U.S. Air Force intelligence officer for 26 years, and a CNN military analyst. Please follow him on Twitter, at Cedric Layton, C-E-D-R-I-C-L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N, the website, CedricLayton.com. Same spelling. We'll be back with him and you talking North Korea and more right after this.
1: Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. 888 6 Leslie. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com.
0: We're back with Colonel Cedric Layton, founder and president of Cedric Layton Associates, military analyst for CNN, and an intelligence officer with the U.S. Air Force for 26 years. Colonel, thank you for holding and welcome back. We'll take your calls in a moment, folks. 8886-LESLIE-888-653-7543 is uh, the number. Uh, The relationship right now between the United States and Korea is at a uh, 50-year low. Um, Pyongyang seems to ramp up the pace of its weapons tests. And we know that they detonated what government officials say was a hydrogen bomb. If that development is true, experts are saying this would signal a major milestone in North Korea's uh, nuclear program. Uh, First of all, do you agree with that statement and why? And secondly, do you believe they've done what they said?
1: I think that they probably did develop a device that it is, that is at least close to being a hydrogen bomb there's some technical issues that uh, you know some people disagree with within the intelligence community as to whether it really was a true hydrogen bomb but either way you know you're just as dead if one of them falls on you or if another type falls on you so it, it, you know in the in the practical sense it may not make that much difference the uh, the assessment uh, you know of North Korea and U.S. relations uh, is it, it is true that it is very very much at a low point. There have been other low points uh, you know, since the armistice was signed back in 1953 that really uh, didn't uh, end the Korean War. It's just basically a pause in the Korean War. So technically, that that conflict is still going on. Uh, but uh, you know, from that standpoint, you've got a situation where the North Koreans are looking at any way in which they can uh, get the respect that they feel they need for their country. So what has happened so far uh, is that the uh, type of respect that they're seeking is something that they're absolutely not getting uh, from President Trump or from uh, most uh, most elements of his administration. And that that can be a, a net positive or a negative depending on how things play out. But it is a, a situation where there's definitely a danger there. And that, uh, you know, that that could where these things could uh, actually escalate uh, out of control. And it could mean, Leslie, that we're looking at uh, a place where the rhetoric will increase, will get even hotter than it's been uh, right now. And uh, as you mentioned, the number of uh, weapons that they're actually testing, I've counted. Uh, Eight separate new missiles uh, that they've launched just this year and uh, missiles that we really didn't know very much about. The other thing that's interesting about what they're doing is their capabilities for refueling those missiles and using a special kind of fuel have actually apparently increased. So they are definitely on a path toward uh, not only creating the weapon systems that they think they need to protect themselves, But they're also on a path uh, that in essence allows them uh, to further develop those weapon systems on their own uh, with either no or with minimal outside assistance. And that's something different. And what that means is that sanctions may not work against them, may not be as effective as uh, policymakers would like them to be.
0: Let's take some calls. Eight 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 six Leslie, eight 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 six five three seven five four three. Michael is on line three in the Bronx. Michael, thank you for joining us. Question or comment for Colonel Leighton?
2: Hi. Yeah. Hello, Leslie. And hello, Colonel. Saluting you. Um Hi, the Michael. big question is the big question is, do you or is there anybody in the military that you know that feels they are being used? By Mr. 45, I'm not going to say his name or his title, but that'll only piss me off. But the thing is, is that when this back and forth between him and North Korea, and it's kind of like baiting each other, and then what's, what's going to happen next? It's like For a guy that has the gall to tell us to respect the military and so forth, I feel that he's going to use the military just because he doesn't like what the response he gets like he gets on a twitter storm and then be like okay guys get him and then who will be hurt at the end is not only be the fear of us getting attacked us us um civilians but north korean innocent people could get attacked as well and your military will be placed in jeopardy only because two people who are supposed to be world leaders are acting like a bunch of juvenile delinquents
0: Okay, Michael, hold that. Colonel, hold that answer. We're going to get it when we come back. Colonel Cedric Layton is our guest military analyst with CNN. He is the CEO of Cedric Layton & Associates. And, or Cedric Layton Associates, no and in there. Founder and president. Follow him on Twitter at Cedric Layton, C-E-D-R-I-C-L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N. The website, CedricLayton.com. Same spelling. Back after this with the answer and more talk in North Korea. Join us, 888 6 leslie
1: Follow Leslie on Twitter, just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall and we'll be sure to share your tweets.
0: We're back with Colonel Cedric Leighton, founder and president of Cedric Leighton Associates, military analyst for CNN with 26 years as a U.S. Air Force intelligence officer. He's our guest. Good to have him back. Colonel, you heard the question and comments from Michael in the Bronx prior to the break. Your response?
1: Well, I would say that, uh, you know, Michael talked about uh, whether or not people in the military think that they're being used by uh, President Trump. And uh, I think Everybody in the military has a, a concern that, uh, you know, whatever they do, that the sacrifices that they make in defending our country, uh, that they be worthwhile, that they be acknowledged. And, uh, you know, I think we, we have a much better climate in terms of civil-military relations than we've had uh, in in uh, quite some time. And that's not something that's specific to this administration. It's something that very much predates it, uh, going back all the way to nine eleven, and and they, even before that, uh, all the way to Desert storm. Um, but having said that, uh, there are a lot of opinions in the military, a lot of different opinions, and I would say that uh, there are some people that are very concerned about, uh, in essence, being, uh, you know, being a pawn in a in a greater uh, situation where forces are playing off against each other, and we're in essence uh, cogs in the machine, so to speak, to to take an industrial age metaphor. Uh, but the the basic idea that military people have is that they are going to serve whatever the commander in chief asks them to do as long as as long as the order is a lawful order and uh, so as this plays out they want him most military members will want the president uh, to take every possible measure before there is an outright armed conflict uh, with North Korea, if there is there is no way to do that, then most of them, of course, would uh, be ready, willing, and able to support or whatever you know is is decided from a, a command authority perspective. Uh, but that's that's really what we're talking about here. You know, is our lives going to be wasted needlessly? while well, more is is frankly, a horrible situation, and it could very well end up uh, that, uh, you know, we we do get into uh, a situation of of armed conflict of one degree or another, and if that happens, uh, you don't want it to be in vain. You want it to be for the the right reasons, and uh, it's a terrible thing to have to go through, and uh, I think every measure should be taken, and military people, most of them would agree that every measure should be taken before we feel we have to resort to armed
2: conflict
0: um also uh talking about that i mean there's just so many uh, issues with this i think that people forget because we're over here um that uh, going to war with north korea would really be more so north korea going to war with south korea in other words the overwhelmingly large number of fatalities um, or victims um, that we are putting, in a sense, almost like targets in front of ourselves, are, are the people of South Korea, and quite frankly, even the people of North Korea, which we'll talk about in a minute, but the people of South Korea. Would you agree with that, Colonel?
1: I would, absolutely, because you know, when you look at where the North Koreans have their conventional artillery, It's all in in range of Seoul. Uh, Seoul, uh, a city, you know, where if you look at the entire metropolitan area, is about 25 million people. I mean, this is this is no small village, and it's uh, way different uh, than it was back, uh, you know, uh, 60 some years ago in the in the Korean War. And uh, this is. A very clear fact, and you're absolutely right to point this out, the vast majority of the casualties in a conflict uh, on the Korean Peninsula are absolutely going to be Koreans, both north and south. And uh, in the south, the risk is that, you know, of those 25 million in and around Seoul, uh, that you could uh, see uh, casualties, some estimates are as high as a million casualties, uh, and of course you'd have mass exodus, or at least an attempt at, uh, at a mass exodus, if there was a surprise attack, for example, against the South, uh, kind of like they did in 1950. And so that would be it would be a, a really a disastrous uh, situation. So you know the key thing to remember about all of this is that anytime people talk about these figures and talk about the plans that exist, uh, the one. Big military truism that that is out there is that no plan survives contact with the enemy, and uh, you know for a fact that uh, the risk is that things could be even worse than projected, just because uh, not only of so the weapons that they have arrayed, the conventional weapons that they have arrayed, but they may also choose to do other things, such as use chemical weapons, uh, you know, mount special operations ta- uh, attacks, uh, you know, potentially engage in a cyber attack that uh, could uh, devastate the infrastructure. So these are the kinds of things that uh, that we have to be concerned about, and uh, the big price is definitely going to be paid on the Korean Peninsula, and it's going to be uh, a, a hell of a situation in, in a case like that.
0: I I want to talk about something that was said by former a former NATO military chief, and that's retired naval Navy Admiral James Stavridis. He was in the military 37 years, uh, that included four years as the Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. As a matter of fact, Hillary Clinton vetted him as a possible running mate, it was uh, alleged. Uh, President-elect Donald Trump even considered naming him Secretary of State. Um, He's a serious guy, and um, he is not an armchair pundit, some people would say, as far as that as one can possibly uh, be. Um, And he he believes that there's a 10% chance of a nuclear war between the United States and North Korea, and a 20 to 30 percent chance of a conventional, but still very bloody, conflict. Um, do you agree with that? And again, you know, why why do you think he uh, arrived at that? That's frightening.
1: It, it is frightening, and uh, yeah, I I do yes, I do agree with that, Leslie. I, I think Admiral Stevright uh, is, is um, you know a not only a an experienced military commander. I, I have met him, I and uh, he is. Uh, also a very astute thinker, and, uh, you know, both being head of NATO and before that he had other commands, Uh, he uh, definitely has a feel for what could potentially happen. Uh, And I would agree that the odds are probably about 10 percent of a nuclear war, an all-out nuclear war, and that would be, uh, you know, absolutely unprecedented in in the history of mankind. Uh, And the idea that a conventional Uh, war, uh, conventional conflict of some type uh, could be as high as 30 percent the chance of that. uh, I think that could be uh, that could be correct. And that's why a week ago I probably would have said it was actually higher than that, uh, at least for the conventional part of it. And that is a very Dangerous situation to be in. What I'm, what I'm really concerned about is that, you know, uh, when you look at something of this type, uh, not all of the facts are known. Uh, I think the admiral arrived at this uh, based on his analysis of the situation and the fact that, uh, you know, we're getting to this brink. We have this this brink, brinksmanship that's going on rhetorically, uh, but we also have actions that are occurring. We're flying bombers uh, off the coast of. North North Korea off the eastern coast. Uh, The North Koreans are responding by putting their fighter aircraft on the eastern uh, side of their country. Uh, And they've also threatened to shoot down airplanes, even if they're flying in international waters, even if they're not uh, directly targeting. Uh, the North. And uh, it's uh, definitely escalated. Uh, and it is something that uh, you know could uh, very much uh, happen if there is a miscalculation. And that's the one thing you hope that everybody who's actually got their finger on the trigger is actually thinking pro- uh, professionally and not emotionally when it comes to that. And that's a pretty tall order to ask for. All right, Colonel, we're going to have to take a quick break. I think we just uh, got to reconnect the connection with Leslie here. We're going to continue that okay. thought in one second. We're going to wrap up with you and then get to talk media news. But, Colonel, great thoughts on North Korea, and we'll have more on the other side of the break. It is the Leslie Marshall Show here. 888 6 Leslie 888-653-7543 for you to reach Leslie. And we'll be back with her in just a minute. Leslie Marshall, the simple truth in a complicated world. 888 6
0: I'm Leslie Marshall. He's back as well. Colonel Leighton we had a tiny little technical glitch, had to go to break there. Um, you were talking about retired Navy Admiral James Stavridis, who spent 37 years in the military, saying there's a 10% chance of a nuclear war with North Korea, but he said a 20 to 30% chance of a conventional and bloody conflict. Colonel?
1: Absolutely, Leslie. I think the Admiral is right on. Admiral Stavridis is somebody I've met. Uh, he is a big thinker when it comes to military things, uh, a lot of experience as well as a lot of knowledge. And uh, this is a, a conflict that uh, you know, will be a mess no matter what happens. It'll be, it'll be ugly and it will absolutely affect uh, the Korean Peninsula for many, many years to come, should it ever happen like that. So the real goal has to be not to have a conflict and to, in essence, contain the North Koreans so that they don't do damage to us and to our allies.
0: In the past, Colonel, uh, both De- Democratic and Republican administrations have failed with diplomacy and sanctions. What would be different this time around?
1: Well, I think the issue is China. Uh, China makes a big difference here. And if they are actually convinced uh, not to allow the North Koreans to uh, have uh, the goods that pass through uh, the bridges that connect the two countries across the Yalu River, uh, that would be a major deal. The other thing, of course, is. Uh, the whole banking sector, if uh, the the sanctions uh, on international financial transactions are actually put into effect also by the Chinese, that could have a significant impact on the North Koreans and potentially, potentially could help diffuse the situation. This is a little bit different. Sanctions, you're right, have not worked in the past, at least not to the fullest extent, uh, but these might be different, especially if China's role changes.
0: I want to also talk about, you know, there's so much to talk about, but I had mentioned the people of uh, North Korea and the people of North Korea, after those comments by Trump, um, you know what, the people of North Korea are ready for war. Um, Millions have volunteered, 4.7 million, or at least that's what Kim Jong-un's media has reported, volunteered to enlist in of North Korea and Armed for, armed Forces. But these people are brainwashed. They know nothing of the outside world. Um, they it, It's almost like the Truman Show that was a movie, but it's not pleasant and sunny. Um, the, these people have a very warped perception of not only the world, but the United States. And and I think that even though he claims that, I think that very much uh, may be true. And I say that because I, 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 I almost... See him ordering these people, you know, kill them, you know charge you know almost like a cartoon character, but it's not funny and certainly Absolutely. very real that these people almost are like lemmings that are willing to go to their death because they they're living they're living in a brainwashed world in North Korea
1: Oh yeah. Absolutely, and and what you're talking about here is a whole society that sees the truth in one way, and it's whatever the dear leader or great leader or whatever term they're using for their leader at that moment in time is using, and they will follow that person uh, basically to their deaths, and that's uh, that's the tragedy behind this. This is you know kind of a medieval mindset in uh, the modern age uh, with in some cases modern weapons, uh, of course, all of those 4.7 million people, if they're under arms, they won't have the same type of weaponry that our soldiers have with the South Koreans or the Japanese would have. Uh, but nonetheless, it would be a horrible situation, and uh, those people would definitely end up uh, going uh, Going to, many of them would end up going to their deaths if they uh, came in tried to fight uh, the way their leadership wants them to fight.
0: Do you believe that 4.7 million people offered to enlist in the North Korean armed forces in the days um, after Trump promised to totally destroy uh, North Korea? And the reason I say that is, correct me if I'm wrong. They don't have access to Twitter in North Korea.
1: That's think. right. That's exactly right. They have a, they have a nascent uh, social media seen in in North Korea, but it's all government sanctioned, nothing like the free-for-all that we have on Twitter or, you know, in any of our other social media platforms. Uh, So yes, I think it is absolutely possible because what happens is their lives are directed. Every morning when people get up, they don't usually use their personal alarm clocks. They are awakened by music that is blaring at 5 a.m from thousands of loudspeakers all across either their town or, their, or if they're lucky enough to live in Pyongyang all across that city. And that's the kind of thing that, uh, uh, that you're dealing with here. You're dealing with people who are part of a, uh, they feel themselves, they're part of a huge collective effort, and that effort is the Korean nation, the North Korean nation. And that is why this is entirely plausible that these people volunteered. They might not be the most effective fighting force on the planet, uh, but they're certainly among the most numerous.
0: Um, One more question. What, What is the last thing with all of your experience in this last minute that you'd like to leave our listeners with with regard to North Korea today, Colonel?
1: Leslie, this is one of the biggest issues that we're facing right now. Now, North Korea is a, a dangerous country. Uh, it has uh, weapons, it's developed weapons, but it's done it in, a, in a vacuum almost with, from everything else that's going on around the world. They've created a situation where they believe that their survival is dependent on their ability to fight the United States, but also to be seen as an equal by the United States. I don't think we should give them that status, but what we should do is we should be able to engage with them, try our best to engage with them on a diplomatic plane, uh, and do everything we can, short of capitulation, short of any appeasement of any type, uh, to make sure that we don't go into an armed conflict, uh, there are certain red lines that we wouldn't want them crossed I uh, wouldn't want to have them crossed. I think what we should do is make sure that they, those red lines are very clear to them, and that we also enlist the help of the Chinese to make sure that what what happens in North Korea is basically contained in North Korea. they don't want an unstable North Korea, nor do we, and it becomes really important for us to work together to uh, keep this lid on this particular situation as tight as it possibly can be t- can be kept.
0: Thank you so much. Always a pleasure to have you on. You know that I adore you. Uh, Colonel Cedric Layton, thank you. Great respect and admiration as well as adornment. <laughs> so, thank you for so being much, with Leslie, us. So much, Leslie. Thank you so much. Colonel Cedric Layton, founder and president of Cedric Layton Associates, military analyst for CNN. Follow him on Twitter at Cedric Layton, C-E-D-R-I-C-L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N. The website, CedricLayton.com, C-E-D-R-I-C-L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N.com. Coming now, live from our nation's capital, one of my favorite people who also happens to be the Washington Bureau Chief for Talk Media News, Ms. Ellen Ratner. Uh, Ellen, thank you for joining us. There has been somebody who's passed away. That's a big name. Uh, That's right. Uh, Hugh
3: Hefner has died. He died at 91. He died in the Playboy Mansion, which he had actually sold a year ago but was allowed to live there until he died. The mansion was actually sold to one of his neighbors, uh, the hostess cupcake guy. Uh, So there you have it. Now, what's interesting is he's going to be uh, cremated and his ashes are going to be in a drawer right next to Marilyn Monroe, a person that he actually put up his her pinup photograph, etc., uh, in his early Playboy magazine. Uh, what's also interesting about Hugh Hefner is he claims he slept with a thousand women. However, I want to say this about old Hugh Hefner, yes. which is that we have got to thank him because he actually put sexuality talk on the main front. It's, it was no more in the deep six. And because of him, people are free to talk about sexuality. So he's a
0: mixed bag, to say the least. Uh, who who gets the empire? I know he has a couple of kids, and uh, three kids, right? A daughter and two sons. And, and uh, what happens to it? Is, is this the end of the, uh, you know, Playboy, you know, bunny world as we know it?
3: Well, we do know that he has a website, uh, but he does not have a magazine anymore. And we're not sure exactly uh, by... Uh, you know about exactly who gets his money we have not seen his will we have not seen it has not been filed yet with probate and my guess is that will take a couple weeks
0: okay and uh in other news um we have how much oh we've got a couple of minutes here good uh talk to us about the trump tax plan so of course we don't have a bill yet
3: we just have an outline of a bill and we do know that on the outline of the bill, uh, people are getting, uh, uh, they're going to be able to keep their mortgage deduction, etc. The White House said today at the briefing that most Americans will get $1,000 more money. Well, that may be, but we don't know what this is going to do to the deficit. Uh, the White House was very uh, not direct about what this might do to Donald Trump's personal wealth. Uh, A lot of criticism has come from that. Uh, There has been a criticism from the Progressive Policy Institute that the Democratic National Committee needs to also come up with its own plan. Uh, They have uh, a budget uh, every year that the progressive uh, group has put out, but not a tax plan. And there is actually
0: a difference. Okay. And lastly, uh, just in a sentence, update on aid to Puerto Rico. So, this is very interesting because
3: we do know that one of the cruise ships came by to take uh, its people and some other people to safety. The president said people are going to be blown away by what they're going to be doing. We do know that over half the people in Puerto Rico do not have access to drinking water.
0: We know that. And unfortunately, we are out of time. Ellen, okay. Ellen Ratner, live from our nation's capital, Washington Bureau Chief for Talk Media News. I'm Leslie Marshall. Steve Trippi in for Mark Grimaldi today.